This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, Katie. Hi, Brian. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? I had a lovely Thanksgiving. You know why? Why? I didn't cook a damn thing. We went to a restaurant <laughs> and ate everything from soup to nuts. How lazy am I? How was your Thanksgiving, Brian? It was very good. You know, my family cooked, so the turkey was dry, but the pie was good. Same yeah. old, same old. Same old, same old. I've never had nice. a moist turkey, actually. No, I mean, I think we should have like a Thanksgiving ham or something I'd like instead. A, I'd, I'd like a Thanksgiving rib roast oh, myself. Oh, that's a good idea, like a prime rib for yeah. Thanksgiving. That'd Love be a lot it. better. Anyway. Way, but it is an opportunity to kind of have a little time off and to give thanks in all sincerity for our blessings. And uh, that and obviously means our family, our friends, uh, our good fortune, and you, Brian, and this podcast. That's and true. today I'm exceptionally thankful that I get to talk to Hugh Jackman, Matt <laughs> Bai, and Jay Carson. Did they sound like afterthoughts? Well, maybe because they There's kind a long of were. pause after Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Hugh Jackman, of course, has a new movie out called The Front Runner, all about Gary Hart's ill-fated campaign and what happened to him in three weeks back in 1987 when it looked like he was going to win his party's nomination for president of the United States but it was when everything changed, not only for Gary Hart, but for the media and for our country. And we should provide a little bit of background. Gary Hart was a Democratic senator from Colorado. He had run unsuccessfully for president once before. Everybody sort of assumed he was going to be the leader of the pack in 1988. But then the media started digging around his personal life, and that was kind of the beginning of the end for his effort. I can assure you, Senator, this is relevant. Yeah, it's just that we saw you uh, leave and come back with this woman, and... Uh, we, we didn't see her. Uh, Tom, you can't be serious. No one is staying in my home. There's no need for that, right? Uh, I, I am serious, sir. Uh, how long have you known this woman? What kind of question? What kind of questions are these? Is she, is she a friend? 
I don't know why I would tell you that. Tom, I am not going to... Can you produce her to corroborate what you're saying I don't here. have to produce anything. This has gone on long enough. Senator, we know you've made calls to this woman from Kansas and New Hampshire. Well, I make calls every day. I don't see how I'd well, remember. Senator, and I don't... was that your announcement speech? Okay, you said, you said we, we must hold I, ourselves accountable what I said. to the highest possible standards of integrity what? and ethics. Then why are we standing here? Now, Hugh Jackman did not do this on his own. It's based on a book written by Matt Bai, one of our favorites. We worked together when we were both at Yahoo News. Matt is still there as the national political columnist. So this movie is based on his book called All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid. We're also joined by another one of my favorites, Jay Carson. Jay Carson helped adapt uh, Matt's book into the screenplay along with director Jason Reitman. Jay's had a pretty interesting career himself. He's currently a senior advisor at Bloomberg Philanthropies. He's worked on a lot of big political campaigns. You and I, I think, first got to know him 10 years ago when he was the traveling press secretary for Hillary Clinton. That's right. Fun fact, Ryan Gosling played the character based on Jay in the 2013 movie The Odds of March. As I'm looking at you, Brian, Ryan Gosling could play you in the movie all about our podcast. You know, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said that to me, Katie, I'm, I, you know, I'm confused for Hugh or for Ryan, particularly yeah, exactly. when I'm in a short sleeve shirt. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we decided we were going to have a long conversation with them about politics, the media, about Gary Hart, and how you really take a story that happened in 1987 and make it relevant today. So we started out by asking Matt why he wanted to write a book about this chapter in American politics in the first place. There are just stories. I know you've had this experience, Katie. There are just stories that grab you. They don't really let you go. Uh, I'm, I'm not a person who has a million ideas I want to live with for a long time. In fact, this might be the only one. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I had met Gary Hart at the end of 2002 when I was in the New York Times Magazine. I'd written about him. I'd been uh, found myself really compelled both by him and his story and also about the things I'd missed about his story. I mean, the more I looked into it, the more I found that some things were just so misremembered about it, even things I'd repeated, honestly, that just weren't right. And I think to myself, as a journalist, if we've over, if we've just put something in a box and we've per and we've collectively misremembered it. Why? You know what? What did? Why? Why do you do that? You don't do that for no reason. You overlook something for a reason. And I really began to look into it. Decided I wanted to to do the the book, which really people did think was a crazy idea, except for Jay, my wife. You know, people. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, by um, you know, uh, the book came out in 2014, and you know, I, I should mention because we started talking about. Um, the, all of us behind the movie, but, you know, the driving force behind the movie is Jason Reitman, our director and, and co-writer who, uh, you know, who heard me talking about the book on a podcast and on a, on a radio lab piece and just was immediately got it, you know, just was hooked, read the book immediately, you know, if you know Jason, just like read the book in about 20 seconds, mm -hmm. uh, you know, had the movie in his head uh, by the time we all sat down and, uh, and we, we, we all just had this kind of magical collaboration, really. And what was it, Hugh, that made you think, gosh, I want to play Gary Hart? Well, Jason was a big part of it, and I didn't know a lot about the story, and I was amazed when I read it of how this incredible, for me, incredible candidate in, with an unbelievably strong ideas somehow quit politics forever. Like, this was the guy who was definitely going to be the next president. Three weeks later, he's out forever. And this sort of mix about principles and ethics and public versus private, there was so much about it that fascinated me. And... 
I was in probably 20 pages into the script. I thought the writing was so smart. I loved being part of a movie that wasn't heroes and villains. It was just a whole bunch of characters. I loved the way the women were uh, portrayed in the movie, and it really made me think, uh, which ultimately is great thing if you're going to see a movie and if you're going to be in a movie and you're going to dedicate six, nine months of your life, you want it to be something that's really going to grab you. you know? Jay, there were very few negatives on Hart, but one was this sort of undefined sense that he was a little bit flaky. He had changed his last name. He had changed his signature. He'd even changed his birth date at one point. But the other was Hart's reputation as a womanizer. And of course, before 1988, reporters didn't look at the private lives of candidates pretty much ever. Why do you think this changed? Why do you think the Hart campaign was the moment that this shifted? I mean, there's a confluence of events that happen around 88 um, that lead to this moment shifting, and it shifts and it, and it never returns. But there is a rule pre-88, which is that someone's personal life is never relevant. Um, the rule post-88 is that it's always relevant. Mm-hmm. What we're arguing for in this movie is some judgment on the part on on all of our parts the voters the journalists the candidates certainly there were times pre-88 where it was relevant we should have known what was going on behind closed doors certainly there have been times post-88 where we don't need to know (laughs) and that's that's sort of we're trying to start that conversation um because i think that absolute rules whether they are ideology or something like always and never are they're just lazy on all of our parts so what was it about the atmosphere though then and the environment matt that this confluence that Jay referred to, that was it increased competition? Was it, you know, the Mm -hmm. us weeklies of the world coming into play? I mean, you know, I remember because I'd worked at WTVJ in Miami and I was a big admirer of Tom Fiedler's. But I don't think he's from the Miami Herald. Yeah, he's from the Miami Herald that was really involved in in breaking the story, Mm -hmm. right? What was happening that caused this? There are moments in time where uh, things come together in a way that changes. It's not just politics, it changes the culture. And I think, you know, in retrospect, what's easier to see now than at that moment in the mid-1980s, you had a bunch of things going on. You're about a decade after Watergate, which changes journalism in a couple of profound ways. It changes, uh, yes, in a sort of base career ambition way, right? If you can take down a politician, now you can get rich and famous. But also, it quite quite rightly, I think, puts the focus on moral character of our leaders more than it had been. And, and because it was embarrassing for the media to have missed that about Richard Nixon. Uh, you had the rise of feminism on the left, which changed attitudes about adultery. You had the rise of the moral majority on the right, which also put personal behavior much more in the realm of, of political discussion. Uh, and then you have the birth of, you know better than I do, the birth of satellite television, right? CNN launches in the early 1980s, flyaway satellite dishes. 1980, new. exactly. Right. Suddenly you have this moment where you can't can broadcast live anything from anywhere and you've got to keep people in their seats and the definition of news changes when it's an hour to hour sort of keep the ratings up uh, uh, issue. And so all of these things come together, I think, in that moment. And as a result, what happens in 1987 is that we begin from that moment to treat our candidates much more like we treat our celebrities. And uh, I would submit that when you treat uh, politicians like celebrities uh, and create a process that demands celebrity, you will get celebrities as politicians and wanting to enter the process. And I think that's been the direct line uh, that you can follow from that moment to the one in which we find ourselves, frankly, more relevant than we thought writing the script. We we had the script done before the 2016 election, but I think uh, I think events have just made it so 
unsettlingly timely in some ways. You know, so, I, I think you accomplished something that I thought was impossible. You made Hugh Jackman actually unappealing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually not that difficult. You'd be surprised. No, nice. We clearly no, haven't know, spent enough time together. One thing that struck me, you know, because I, I remember Gary Hart. I think I've interviewed him on a number of occasions. And, of course, I remember the story well, even though I was in local news mm-hmm. when this, this story happened. Um, you know, I kept thinking, God, he's so humorless. And he's so lacking in charisma. He's so obnoxiously earnest. That's what I thought when really? I watched this movie. Did you set out to make him that way? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just you coming through. How did you was, tap into that? This Hugh? is because the least amount honestly, of acting I've ever done. He is the anti- <laughs> no, he is. I know you. He is the antithesis of everything you are. I mean, I mean did you just have to, like, try to— s- Sublimate any personality? Uh, no, I uh, I have a different perspective from meeting him and spending time with him. I find him very mercurial in in a way. Like I actually jokingly said to him, "Have you ever thought about being an actor?" Because when I'm around a lot of actors, I always feel like any ab- adjective could work with that actor. Like actors have to chop and change so much that they can at times be grumpy or earnest or funny. And I've found him. Maybe because of everything I'd heard or read, I was surprisingly warm, funny, uh, very inviting, very very hospitable. He was quite serious and brief in what he did. And people were, even his own campaign team at, at important moments, were on eggshells at times around him because he was very serious and he wasn't, you know, mucking around. But uh, I... I, my job was to bring you close enough but never let you in. That's what I felt. And Jason and I talked about that a lot because he is a very private person. And a lot of people I spoke to, even to this day, ones who spend years around him, were like, couldn't quite grab onto who he is. So I'm a little, even hearing you now, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I didn't quite work. I was hoping for a bit like, I think I've got it, but I'm not sure. Like that. I felt that no, way. Worse. Thank you, brother. Yeah. I, no, 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 no. I, mean, I, mean, I felt, I felt that like way he too. was almost contemptuous of the People magazine culture we were oh, moving yeah, toward. He was. I mean, oh, definitely. I think he it's was. a discomfort just, more than anything. I think, and I think that's what Hugh brings across so brilliantly. I, I do think Hugh is absolutely brilliant in this film. I think we all do. And, 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 and part of it is, is telegraphing. Something that's very hard to telegraph with your face, with your emotions, with your emotions is this this discomfort with the yeah. arena. This this not being able to feel yourself with feeling always uh, under a microscope and and feeling the ground shifting mm-hmm. underneath you and not being able to adapt to it. It's a hard thing to get across with somebody who doesn't deliver long soliloquies, which is well, something no. Jay and I yeah. and I really think you did a great job. From. Don't get me wrong. I just didn't <laughs> find Gary Hart very appealing. For me, because I think he was so intent of, upon maintaining this zone of privacy yeah. that yeah. as somebody who watched the movie, I, you know, I just wanted to mess up his hair and slap him around <laughs> and, and he, take he him serious. and get him drunk. Right. Well, by the way, he got me drunk. <laughs> he, he makes a mean martini when I sat really? in his house. Oh, yeah. No, no. He can <laughs> he can throw him back. But he, yeah, no, it's it's. It's interesting because I think it was ideas were so important to him and he spent hours on them. And so when he was doing a speech on economics or on anything, it it had been years of working things out. Before he ran, he had been to every country, met with not just the leader, but the opposition leader. So he knew like his detail on how he could possibly lead the country very well over an eight year period was incredible. Did he have enough EQ for this well, current environment and mm. for mass media and, you know, when they say people vote for the guy or 
gal they want to have a beer with. I'm, like, I mean, he just didn't seem to have any of those, hey, let's let's hang out qualities. I know what you mean. And I think I find myself in the same place, sometimes scolding myself for needing the person to have the right EQ. And and I have, through the process of, of writing and doing this movie, wanted to flip that around in my head and wonder why we put so much stress on that, right? We're watching someone who's clearly brilliant, who's clearly thought the job through, but we don't like them enough. And it's this weird thing where like, we would never treat our airline pilot that way. I mean, I flew through a lot of turbulence to get here last night, and I wasn't thinking as I was laying there trying to to sleep through the through the bouncing around. Like, do I like my pilot? Is he <laughs> nice enough? I'm like, I want him to be able to fly the goddamn plane right. and land it. That's true. And we flipped it around with president, which is much more serious than flying just 200 and of us why, across the country. Did, why did that happen? I personally I want a pilot who talk, who chats. chats. I mean, every time <laughs> <hand, laughs> like, get on Southwest bad. and they do both, right? They're funny and they can fly. But like, I'll take flying over funny and likable every day. But well, we have I do it too. Like I would pick candidates I would work for based on do I like them? Do I want to be around them all the time? That's not the right prioritization. Don't they have to be great communicators though? Isn't that part of Donald Trump's problem is that he just doesn't know how to heal the nation in times of duress. He doesn't know how to inspire anyone. All he knows is how to, you know, hate on people really. And and to me, communicating and setting a tone is – as important as having the cerebral qualities of coming up with the best policies. But let me just add another little thing into that mix in that there's a great documentary about his 84 run. And he's on camera saying, I'm I'm often called cool and aloof, that when we win that first primary, everyone will call me enigmatic. And he under, and that's exactly what happened. So he <laughs> wins in a landslide. Everyone's like, who's this guy out of nowhere and heart and da 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 And all of a sudden people see him in this different prism. So if we cut to 1987, let's say he wins the first four or five primaries, he's 20 points ahead of Bush, people are seeing him in a whole different light. He probably carries himself in a different light. He doesn't have to work so, like it might have fit perfectly with his character and we would have just gone, ah, I love this guy, he's so great, he doesn't have to talk on and on. Like, I think... It's it's just interesting. He did have an understanding of human nature, and maybe it was events as much as anything. Well, and frontrunners are covered differently. Hart was supposed by everyone to be the next president of the United States, and so he generated a lot of extra scrutiny. Right. But I want to ask you about how much the rules actually changed, because after Hart— Bill Clinton, and frankly, our current president have gotten away with extramarital uh, affairs. Right. Why do you think they were able to get through these controversies, but Hart wasn't? Does Hart well, get I mean, away? <laughs> I, I, I mean, Brian, it's, it's exactly what I was saying, uh, you know, this is what I was saying a moment ago, because uh, you create a process that rewards a certain amount of shamelessness and evasion and the willingness to drag your family uh, in front of the cameras and, uh, and frankly, to be dishonest. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can look at it and say, well, Bill Clinton survived. Now I look at Donald Trump and he's got all this checkered stuff and he just says whatever he wants and sails through. Okay, but but I would look at it, I would suggest that it's very different, which is you created a process that rewards an entirely different set of qualities. What we think of as leadership now is not what we thought of as leadership prior to 1987. It's not about ideas. It's not about intellect. It's not about even a certain amount of reserve, which people generally expected in their leaders. It's now about... How well, your pain. how well can yeah. you evade the yeah. traps? How well can you emote on cue? How right. much of a, how much are you right. willing to share? What how much can you humanize yourself? Uh, and 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 how you know can you lie effectively to get around the things about yourself that would be that would be morally damaging? I think when you create when you change the definition of what makes a great candidate, you 
you you you get the candidates who meet those qualifications. Well, Obama was a pretty good candidate, but, but he, I don't know but that he it, fit all it's, of those it's, criteria. Well, but it's inc- it ends up being incidental. You know, you may have someone who knows how to do the job, but it's their performing ability that we're looking at first. It's just what I was saying. It's it's not can they fly the plane. It's it's their performance ability. And oh, incidentally, they may have gone to flight school, but we're not really asking those questions first. We have a process that rewards shamelessness. Is it because there's no marketplace of ideas? I mean, is it because of our modern media culture that emphasizes sort of the quick, uh, you know, dramatic theatrical aspect of a candidate mm-hmm. or a president? I mean, wh- why did it all change? I mean, are we just stupid? I mean, what is it? Well, I, I think it's, that's a chicken and egg question, right? Is it, is it the, does the process dumb down the dialogue uh, and and bleed bleed it of ideas, or or does a lack of ideas create a more vapid process? And that's part of the conversation. I think people can debate, you know, when they when they think about these issues. To your point, Brian, about President Obama, which is a very interesting case, and I think very actually quite similar to Senator Hart in some ways in terms of personality. I, I would actually argue that uh, while President Obama is is different than the other people we talked about. His mere existence as a candidate and a president uh, would not have been possible in a process that were not dominated by a kind of entertainment narrative. He was the star of a drama. You know, we call him no drama Obama. The truth is he, he had very little experience, very little qualification, had thought through very little about governing the country, but he was a story. There was a great story arc and a great character to what he sold the country. And I, I don't, I don't, you know, I know him and I don't argue he wasn't a good president. I'm simply saying he he is part and parcel of, of an era where entertainment has become uh, intertwined and inseparable from politics. And I think this, what we're looking at here is a genesis moment. It's a moment, you know, what we're trying to show people is a, a moment where it shifted so they can leave and reflect and argue about how it got here, whether it should have been different and where the responsibility lies. On the other hand, I was frustrated because, Jay, I kept thinking, why couldn't Gary Hart just keep it in his pants? What the hell was wrong with him? I mean, <laughs> look, I, you know. I mean, I mean, is it too but, much to expect? Maybe I'm just not idealistic and naive. But I kind of want my president to be faithful. Is that weird? Well, Matt, you but once no, noted actually... that Teddy White said that of all the candidates he covered in half a century for president, only three, Harry Truman, George Romney, and Jimmy Carter, had not enjoyed the pleasure of, quote, casual partners, <laughs> which is kind of unbelievable. We could have, I guess we could have 20 Carter administrations if that's what you want, but— uh, <laughs> You know, I don't, well, I don't should know. I not? Well, should I not care? Jay, no, let me just. You no, you you should care. I mean, I, I think that you know part of what we're arguing in this movie is that like it's okay for you to care. There, you and a big block of voters do care, and that's that's just fine. It's not. It, and we're not every, arguing to go backward. Right? No, 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 no. But everyone, everyone may not care. Um, but it's absolutely if that's on your, if that's on, you know, if that's if well, that's they the, didn't care about Bill Clinton, and suddenly now they care again because of Monica Lewinsky. Hmm. But I mean, to bring it back to the movie, the Clinton case is <laughs> no. But the Clinton case is an interesting one because it goes back to what we were talking about. There's a their performative skills and the and the willingness to do anything to get through a scandal leads to 1992. You know, he takes a number of steps that Gary Hart wasn't willing to take in '88. You know, if you'll like. if you'll the 60 Minutes interview to start right. You know, I mean, Hart was like, I am not going to force my wife to sit next to me and. And do an interview uh, about this. I'm just not going to do it. We didn't and, even uh, take her on stage. And other news conference. you know, other other candidates. Well, they make- all had a. They also had seemed to have a super weird relationship to me. I, I'm married. okay. I gotta say, <laughs> first of all, the assumption that all that happened with Gary is not a given. Uh, so, 
Well, that's they both not deny it. Actually, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and he has been on record to saying they had two separations, two maybe three uh, during. Mm-hmm. They just celebrated their sixtieth wedding anniversary, and I stayed with him at their house. And Gary, uh, she was recovering from elective hip surgery, and Gary at six o'clock in the morning, we had the tray with the folded napkin and the her pills for the thing, and taking the breakfast to her. And I saw nothing but love and devotion and family and. Come on, you're 60 years. It's never. It's not going to be all rose. But the point of the movie is not did he or didn't he, even if he did, is that disqualifying? But I just feel I'm sitting here going, I have to stand up for Gary because I know if Gary was here, we're like, well, hang on a sec. Stop assuming that I'm one of the those presidents, but, you know, who or presidential candidates who did or didn't. We're talking to Hugh Jackman, Jay Carson, and Matt Bai about their movie, The Front Runner. We'll be back with more right after this quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Now back to Hugh Jackman, Jay Carson, and Matt Bai. 
Hugh, there's a famous moment that's covered in the film when your character is asked by a reporter who's E.J. Dion in real right. life about his womanizing reputation. For God's sake, A.J., just ask whatever it is you came here to ask or whatever your editor told you to ask me. This is beneath you. Okay. Hmm? Do you feel like you have a traditional marriage? Yeah, nope. That's it. You, know, you, you want to know what I'm doing in my spare time, AJ? Is that it? Follow me around. Put a tail on me. You'd be very bored. A couple of points on that. Hart didn't think anybody would actually do it. And the Miami Herald reporters were already they following, were already following him around. Hart. They used that post facto as a justification. Yeah, I think, I think Matt's book for Gary, one great takeaway for him was that finally, I mean, for what, probably the smartest politician that may have ever been in America, one of the smartest to be known as doing the dumbest thing. Well, I think to him was one of, one of those great injustices, as Matt's book put that, you know, to rights, that it was a throwaway comment. And, yeah, and he, they were already following him around, you know. But I, I encourage people to, okay, so view the movie and his, this whole three weeks from the idea that he did it, right? Okay, so he did it. And, now, and then view it from the prism that maybe there was nothing with Donna Wright. Maybe nothing that he met. Maybe there's this whole story in the Atlantic that Lee Atwater had set the whole thing up. And, okay, take that as a, and view it from that prison. And then watch a man who did but not... But buy a made ticket done, every time, right? What's that? But buy a ticket every time. <laughs> <if you like. laughs> but by the way, you just mentioned that as Brilliant. kind of an aside. That but, Jim Fallows piece in the Atlantic yeah. was pretty fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, man, I'm curious your view on this since you're the world's expert. Basically, Fallows spoke to a very famous media guy, Ray Struther, who worked for Hart, right. who had like a deathbed conversation with Lee Atwater, George Bush's strategist, who told him that the monkey business, the images, the whole thing was sort of set up by Bush's campaign. Do you buy that? Uh, I don't know, Brian. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm like you. I find it fascinating. I, I think here's what I know. I, 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 I think it's perfectly plausible that the Republicans would have set out to do Hart at that point. Uh, uh, I also think that so many decisions were made by people who I know were not part of a plot that week that, you know, I don't think you could construct a Rube Goldberg machine quite that intricate, right? People used judgment and bad judgment often. And, and so uh, I think uh, it's possible both things were going on. I, you, I don't think you could, any conspiracy could account for all the things that happened that week or how it unfolded. But ultimately for us, you know, we're, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, we're more interested in the forces that set it all in right. motion and how it changed the industry. I mean, we, regardless of what set that in motion. Um, so I'm fascinated. I've talked to Jim Fowles about it and I, I've given him new paths to go down and I hope he keeps looking at it because I, I think it's a fun thing to speculate about. But I, I, it is just really speculative. And relevance. If, if it happened, is it still, is that, and like maybe for you that is, that, that disqualifies someone as a candidate. But I don't know. I don't know if it does or not, honestly. I think sometimes it's the reaction hmm. to it um, yeah. that that if he had said, and I don't know if I, if we can go back to 1987 and say, well, what should he have done? What could he have done? Could he have somehow right. gotten out of this for the good of the country to, to push forward his ideas? But that's the he fun could. of it, right? I know. I think the, about that. Know, we, and watching it, I was like, hmm. If, if Gary was only interested in political survival, I have no doubt he could have got out of that. In a second. In a yeah. second. What, I mean, what, what, what would he have done, Hugh, oh, to get oh, out uh, of it? You know, I've, the 60 I've been on interview? I've been on, for starters. Yeah. I've been on record. Uh, you know, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. We've had two or three separations, but we're together. We're working on it. And like any couple, we're committed to doing our best. Anyway, 
anyway, can we move on to economics? Like moving on. Well, like, why couldn't why so couldn't in the moment do you, that? Because that's what I'm saying. If you view it from the prison, let's say nothing happened, right, with that situation. And then you've got a man whose principle is first thing is I'm going to protect my wife and children. So every time I get asked a question, my now grown-up children are listening to this about their mum and dad. My wife is hearing me talk about this, right? And he was against that. That's like that's a betrayal to them. And I it's not my right to just talk about our private life, as well as the political process. Like every time I answer that question, every time I answer the question boxes or briefs or what's my dog's name, I am draining down the IQ of the political process. So he refused to do it. So let's say he's innocent. He can save himself politically, but he opts, you know what, I'm not. That's not a question I'm going to answer. Then he becomes almost like a martyr, you know. So that's what I find is interesting about this process, yeah. you know. Well, I, I think, think that... everyone views it from the perspective of personal survival and how he could have saved himself, but he may have had more um, at stake. I that. guess, but he really fell on his sword, right? And Donna Rice was just sort of, you know, just one instance and, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but weren't there a lot of other dalliances? Well, he, I mean, he'd, he'd been, he'd been, as you know, you know, separated twice for long periods of time. So it's it's hard to, yeah, yeah. I mean, and by in, the way, even advice in the, in to the presidential film, candidates: do not hang out with Warren Beatty. Hashtag <laughs> just saying. They're still close friends. In the film, you know, you see, uh, uh, you know, the evidence of another dalliance. But since you uh, raised Donna Rice, can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, Cause, please. Because that was really, um, really important to us both. Uh, in Donna Rice, you know, somebody who went through this kind of modern scandal as the other woman for the first time really gets reduced to a punchline, is just as defined by this yes. and, and made just as two-dimensional as Hart was. Uh, and then, you know, expanding that to all the other women you see in the film, you know, we really – it was very important to us. You know, obviously I talked to Donna a lot for the book. This was very important for us to – make sure that that perspective was not just expressed and not like in a token way, but actually like that we had three-dimensional characters, that Donna Rice was shown to be a very real human being with potential and emotions and she's bright mm. and she's principled. And, you know, we worked very hard at Helen Estabrook, our producer, you know, everyone writing the script, we're guys obviously. And, and Helen, our producer, who was so brilliant and kept, you know, with every draft, uh, you know, pushing us on, you know, what was complicated enough, what was important to understand about a woman's perspective, how women in these situations get burdened with speaking for their entire gender, you know, have to stand in. We really worked hard at it, and I think it's one of the things we're all really proud of, and the performances that uh, women in the film gives Sarah mm -hmm. Paxton, you know, chief among them. I just think it's, um, and, and Vera Farmiga, of course, is amazing. She was great. As, just as I mean, just, you know, she brings you to tears, and yep. I, I just think that's that's an aspect of the film we've worked very hard on and we're very, very proud I, of. I really like the line by the Washington was it the Washington Post? Mm. I couldn't quite figure out. She had a big job at the Post. Anne yeah. Yeah. She's supposed Anne to be Eric Grainer plays, plays her in the And film. she said yeah. a line about power. Uh, Is a man. A, a man with power, power has opportunity. And takes a certain amount of responsibility. For me, that, that line really resonated because as I wrestled myself watching this, like, does it matter? Should it matter? I felt like she was channeling the Me Too movement. And this is pre-Me Too. Back in I mean, 1987. We, yeah. Well, and we, we, wrote didn't, it. we wrote it before that. Yeah, well, and I right. love the moment when the Donna Rice character says to the female heart aide, I've worked my entire life so that 
that people like you wouldn't look at a person like me the way you yeah. are right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very powerful. We, we really, thought, yeah. we tried to show everyone in this as, as three-dimensional human beings, the journalists, the, yeah. the women, the candidates, the voters, um, you know, and show their, their struggle and their pain as they go through this, you know, crazy process that no one had ever faced before. Yeah, you guys, yeah. I know, want this to be relevant and you want this to spur conversation. I mean, what do you hope that are some of the issues that people will be grappling with long after they leave this movie in terms of the role of the press and the responsibility of our leaders and the climate and what we need to care about, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, what are you hoping people will think about Certainly all of these questions, and hats off to both of you guys and Jason, which it's a script really without answers. And it would have been easy to give answers. You guys know that world inside and out. It would have been easy to give that, but you don't. And in the end, for what that does for me, and I hope perhaps it does for everyone else, is what's my personal responsibility? Now, I'm actually Australian, but of course... You still we, bear responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> but we do, like in our choices of how we consume news, of how we vote, are we, uh, what is our civic duty? Rather, you know, how are we participating in the process? What is important to me? Have I really thought this through? Do I actually know what, what, sorry, I know about the boat and the girl. What were Gary Hart's policies again? Like, you know what I mean? Like when we pick up our phone and we all have the phone, it gives us four stories, right? The moment you wake up and two of them, one is Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson. And they're like, they're, do we click on that one? Like, you know, what Are we actively working out what is important over what is entertaining or interesting? And I think that's the question I hope people end up grappling with. You know? What about you well guys? Said. No, that's, that's really well said from my perspective. I mean, we, we, we deliberately made a film that we hope gets people thinking and debating among themselves. We, we, we hope, and it's been our experience, that people walk out of the theater actually having an argument about it because we don't have the answers. Uh, as Jason always says, and it really resonates with me as a journalist because it's always been my journalistic impulse as well, he starts a story with a question and he, that he wants to ask, not with an answer. And this is not a film that gives you answers. If you're looking for them, you might be disappointed. I think this is a, this is a, this is a film that, that shows you a moment that you may not have known existed where it set us on a path and and asks everybody involved, including you sitting there watching it, to reflect on on where what the consequences of those decisions are and whether you would have made the same decisions. And I, I think it's a for that reason it's a very personal experience, I think, watching it. Jay? We could use a little less relevance with this movie, <laughs> really honestly. Could, yeah. <laughs> we started writing it like, you know, during the Obama administration and all of a sudden it felt like the world was catching up to the movie in terms of two thousand sixteen election and me too. And um it's really a question of what's what's relevant and what's important. And the movie actually asks that of you from the first shot to the last. In that first two and a half minute one um, which is our Hollywood speak for, it's just a single shot uncut. You're tracking through different conversations. You're trying to figure out what's going on. And you're trying to, do I want to listen to the guys talk about how to jumpstart a golf cart? Or do I want to watch this? Do I want to watch Walter Mondale on TV? Do I want to watch Gary Hart? Do I want, you're trying to catch up to the last scene where you have, a marriage trying to hold on on the left side of the screen and Gary Hart giving a speech on the right side. And we were just literally asking the audience for the entire, ti- for the entire time to, to grapple with what's relevant and what's important. Well, it's really timely despite the fact everything happened in 1987. I can't think of a better dream team to bring this story to life than you Thank three. You, really, three Thank of you, my Katie. favorite people all around a table and you too, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Katie. No, really, Thank thanks you. for coming in right. and yeah, uh, really appreciate it. <laughs> And love to see you all. The 
Front Runner, starring Hugh Jackman, is in theaters now. And that's all we got for you today. The crack team that made this show is producer Emma Morgenstern, associate producer Nora Ritchie, and audio engineer Jared O'Connell. And as always, a big thank you to Julia Lewis, who helps with my social media, Jim Brown, who helps us book guests, and Beth DeMoz, my assistant. Jared Arnold composed our theme music. You can find me on Twitter under at GoldsmithB. And Katie is breaking the internet every day <laughs> while keeping her clothes on on Instagram, Facebook, oh and Twitter as what else, Katie well, Couric? Most most days I'm keeping my clothes on. If you have thoughts about the show or questions for us, please reach out. Our email address is comments at currickpodcast.com or you can leave us a voicemail by calling 929-224-4637. As always, thanks so much for listening. We so appreciate your support and we'll see you next week. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.